Your finances will leave a long-lasting impact on your family. After all, you only retire once. If you're looking to discuss all things pertaining to your retirement, you've come to the right place. This is Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart. Well, thanks for being here for another edition of Retirement Matters with Michael Stewart. I'm Walter Storholt. Michael's the founder of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial with an office there in Crystal Lake, Illinois. And you can find us online at crystallaketax.com. This is the podcast for you if you want to make sure that you are up to date on important retirement matters and to make sure that you're well prepared for your financial future. Michael, great to talk to you this week. How are you, sir? Excellent. Thank you, Walter. It's great to talk with you as well. Glad to hear that and looking forward to what we've got on the agenda for today's podcast. We've got a really good question that we're going to cover from Marie in a couple of moments. She's got a question about having a couple of different whole life insurance policies in place. We'll answer her question in just a few moments. And plus, are you involved in any risky but widely popular investments. We'll talk about some of the investments that are on the rise currently in the financial landscape and some of the risks that come along with these types of investments. That and much more straight ahead, but first... Extra, extra, read all about it. It's time to see what's happening in the news. And a recent headline that we want to talk about on today's podcast has to do with former Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan. And Michael, he said a couple of weeks ago that the U.S. economy is, quote, out of whack and likely headed for a downturn. Is that an assessment that you'd agree with? I think Chairman Greenspan is correct. The, the economy is out of a whack. We're in what I refer to as the everything bubble. Stocks are overvalued, bonds are overvalued, real estate's overvalued. Volatility, you know, which is the movement up and down of the markets and that is below historic lows. It's kind of like steam building up in a kettle that at some point or sooner or later, it's gonna wind up blowing. Now, you know, everyone wants that last few percentage points of the stock market's upside, that run we've been on. But instead, there's several realizations that a lot of our clients that need to make. One is that we're near the end of a 10-year stock bull market run. We're also long in the tooth from an economic recovery, and that's what Chairman Greenspan is actually referencing. And we're a lot closer than further away from a recession. And then the 35-year bond bull market that we've had of really low interest rates and declining rates for nearly 35 years, that's coming to an end. So, you know, your goal and the goals of an advisor isn't just to call the top. It's to make sure that we capture and protect the good fortune, whether it's been by luck or skill for the markets the last nine years, and make sure that we're in a position to take advantage of the next economic downturn or market crash rather than be hurt by it. So one of the things, and that's really what Chairman Greenspan was alluding to, is that we're all also 10 years older than we were the last crisis. Hmm. So we're 10 years either closer to retirement or further into retirement than we were before. So one of the things when he talks about things being out of whack, it's kind of taking a step back and say, all right, everything's overvalued right now. It doesn't mean you don't want to be invested. You want to manage the amount of risk, but take a look at what's going on with you around the world and how do you reposition yourself? So if things are out of whack, be it your portfolio, be it your spending, be it your lifestyle, whatever it is, now is the time to fix it before things get worse and kind of get back in line, not wait till after the fact. Well, you brought up age, Michael, as a quick follow-up to that analysis, because it does seem like yeah, there's a lot of things maybe stacked against future growth in the economy right now, and that might be why you know Alan Greenspan is saying things are out of whack a little bit. But how should that news be perceived by folks who are at different age levels? Let's just, you know, things in threes tend to make a lot of sense to us. So why don't we start there? Somebody who's maybe, you know, retired a couple of years ago, maybe let's say they're, they're in their late 60s, versus somebody who's about to retire, maybe in their early 60s, versus somebody who's maybe still somewhere in their 50s. Should they take that news? Should they take that feeling of an out-of-whack economy and 
address it a little bit differently inside their portfolios? I think definitely so. So some of the things along that line of reasoning, regardless of which stage you're in, is let's let's say for the existing retiree, hopefully they're on your own or working with a re- retirement advisor that specializes on the income side. You've already made those adjustments so that there isn't anything significantly that go on within the stock market or interest rates or, or you know, geopolitically with a Trump tweet or what have you, that's really going to derail your ability to have the quality of life in retirement that you want. So hopefully you've already have that in place because that's some of the risk management that should have been done kind of leading into and maintaining yourself in retirement. Now for that person that's approaching retirement, that's really close, kind of getting their ducks in order for that, it's even more critical that they take a look at the amount of risk that they have and kind of what is out of whack, whether that's the amount of risk in their portfolio or how they're gonna coordinate all the other things going on in their life, be it social security, be it getting income off the portfolio, how to claim a pension, those kind of things, it becomes important. Now, I would also say that for someone else, let's say somebody in their 20s, 30s, and even 40s right now that has a good two decades plus ahead of them, I would begin to de-risk a little bit of the portfolio that I have or some of the investments. And although that might be contradictory or counterintuitive to what you think you would do when you're younger, if we truly are out of whack, and a lot of things seem that things are overvalued, not a whack, is this is getting some powder dry so that when we do have just a natural sell-off, a natural correction, whatever it happens to be, whether it's a crash or just a regular bear market, you have powder dry to use that as an opportunity to enhance your returns on a go forward basis rather than kind of play the roller coaster where you're either up, you're down. So I think in all three of those stages, you take in good concert what's going on out there that things are a little bit over their skis and then position yourself accordingly. I like over their skis. Uh, great analogy, I think, and, and way to visualize maybe what's going on in the economy right now. Well, hopefully that's helpful for you. Uh, certainly keep an eye on some of the moves and things that are going on on that larger scale. Always nice to put it into perspective of how it might affect us as individuals. That's a little bit of what's happening in the news. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. that means it's time to answer one of your questions here on the mailbag portion of Retirement Matters. And we'll lob a good question Michael Stewart's direction and get his thoughts and opinions on it. we got a good question here, Michael, from Marie in Huntley. Marie says, I have three whole life insurance policies that were sold to me back in the 90s. Is that too many policies to have? And should I drop one or two of them? Yeah, Marie, I get this question quite often when we're sitting down with prospective clients who are sold these permanent life insurance policies in the past. And, you know, usually it's been by friends or family who were in and out of the business. And I won't go into the efficacy of the policy or whether the original sale made sense. You know, in reality, there's many times better uses of money and better growth opportunities and still get the insurance. You know, but I digress. So a, since you already own the policies, we'll talk about kind of what your options are now. And the key now is that I would ask you several questions. The first and probably most important one at your age, and you know, I'm just going to make an assumption because of the most of our listeners that you're around 65, you're approaching retirement, you probably have a pretty good nest egg, maybe the home's paid off. So the first question that I'd ask you is, what's the purpose of having life insurance, given what's going on in your current situation? You know, in the 90s, back when you bought these three policies, maybe it was for income replacement in case you or your spouse were to pass away. Maybe it was a safety net to cover the mortgage or college expenses for the kids if one of you happened to pass away early. You know, if it was sold as a solid investment, well, insurance is never an investment, regardless of what the agent tells you. You know, there's always better and less expensive ways to do it. 
But for these specific policies, one of the things that I would say is, do you even need the insurance given where you are today? You're in a different place than you were 20, 25 years ago when you purchased these policies. So then the following questions on that would wind up saying, you know, if you're still paying premiums and you do need the insurance, is there a cheaper policy that can help you with the cash flow but give you similar coverage? You know, cash flow and retirement's kind of key. In addition to that, could you exchange them into a long-term care policy? If you don't have anything currently to help you assist with health care later on in retirement for you or your spouse or those that you care about, there's other options that you might be able to do with the same cash value or premiums. So just leverage that into a benefit that you can actually use if life insurance is no longer actually what you need. Another probably final consideration has to do with over the years, the last 25, 30 years, you've been putting money in here. Part of that has been going towards paying for the insurance and part of it's been going to cash flow or as far as building up a cash value. So what happens over time is you build up some cash value. That's a little for some, a lot for others. But what happens is much of that is earnings after a certain period of time. So if you decide just to take it out, kind of cash this out, you want to know how much of that's going to be taxable to you, what the implications are. I know on our side, we have software that runs through all these things. So first we determine, is there an insurance need? Does it even make sense to keep it? And whether the answer is yes or no, then say, given what's going on in your financial world right now and your expectations going forward, what's the best thing to do with it on a go-forward basis? Always great to get that kind of guidance when you have specific questions about your financial plan. This one, of course, dealing with whole life insurance policies. But that probably goes for a lot of different types of products, I'd imagine, Michael. It's not just a, a whole life insurance policy, but lots of things that people have maybe had in their portfolio 5, 10, 15, 20 or more years and maybe it just doesn't serve the same function now that it once did in the past. Absolutely, because many times what happens is, you know, and I'll, I'll date myself with the old Ron Popeil, set it and forget it, you know, kind of a uh, you know, toaster oven, is that, you know, people acquire these things over time and they just kind of stick them in the, in the side in their little portfolio bag on the side and, you know, many times don't even open the statements or pay much attention to them. And the reason that they bought them initially or the stage of life that they're in now compared to when they acquired anything, whether it's a specific type of investment, whether it's, an insurance policy, you know, could be a second home, a boat, whatever it happens to be, is they're just not in the same place anymore or it doesn't serve the same purpose. So, yeah, so it's definitely something that is always worth kind of taking a peek at and making sure that it's still right for you today. Hey, those uh, rotisserie infomercials were maybe the most mesmerizing infomercials of all time. I remember as a kid just sitting watching those rotisserie chickens spin around and everybody in the crowd, and forget it, and just salivating over the rotisserie yeah, chicken. Absolutely. <laughs> so we, uh, don't, don't worry about dating yourself. That's a good thing to date yourself on, the rotisserie chicken maker, that's for sure. Well, there you go. Great. Another question there from Marie. If you'd like to submit a question to be featured on a future program, we invite you to go to crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com, and contact Michael there through the website. Well, on today's podcast, our main method of conversation will revolve around risky but popular investments. You know, it's probably common sense when you think about human nature, but some of the risky investments are also the most popular. You know, at least the risky ones generate a lot of interest, if nothing else. And I don't mean money interest necessarily. I mean popularity. Even if most folks don't end up actually making an investment, people are still talking about it a lot. So I want to look at some of the three of the most popular yet risky investments that are kind of in the chatter right now that people are talking about maybe around the water cooler a little bit. Certainly nothing has made as much noise recently, Michael, as cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin being the most popular, I would imagine, among those. But there's lots of cryptocurrencies out there. 
Absolutely. There's uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Ripple. You know, there's hundreds of uh, different cryptocurrency coins that are out there right now. And if I could counsel anybody, this is really going to apply to all three of them. Uh, all the three that we're going to talk about, none of them are investments. They're couched as investments. People think that they're investments, but in, in the long run, and I'll explain why as we kind of individually go through these, that they're not necessarily investments, they're trades. So as an example of the cryptocurrency, you know, this is an irrational gold rush. And you know, it's collective insanity, kind of herd mentality, if you think about it, because it's not an investment. You know, this could be the same thing as gold or tulip bulbs or beanie babies back in the day. It's speculation on hoping that it goes higher. There is no true logic behind it. Now, I don't want to get that confused with the actual blockchain technology itself, but the technology is different than the lottery ticket of owning these different coins. It's still very early in the process. And on one of a few podcasts back, I had covered an example of one of our tax planning clients, a young family that had come in when Bitcoin at the end of the 2017 was trading at almost $18,000, $19,000. And he wanted to put his year end bonus, a five figure bonus into Bitcoin. And when we kind of ran through some of the numbers, he and his wife opted against it, which was a great thing because as of today's recording, I think Bitcoin's sitting at about $7,600. So, you know, it's down about 60, 70% just in the last five or six months or so. So one of the key things on that is it's an imaginary value. And I mentioned before, it's kind of human herd behavior. So if you're interested in something like that as a trade, okay, well, you, know, you could make 100%, lose 100% on that one. That's a different mindset and different dollars that go in that direction. But if you're looking for an investment, let the technology, the blockchain technology play out and then determine who's going to be the winners and losers. Because typically what happens is the first to market are usually not the ones that are the, the best in the long term, most successful. It's a good way to think about things, I think, Michael. And this next item on our list is risky, but yet gaining in popularity, especially out West. But I have a feeling it'll continue to become more popular, just kind of reading the political winds here. And that would be marijuana stocks. Obviously, with the legalization of marijuana in different parts of the country and with that uh, campaign picking up speed in other locations, a lot of people think marijuana stocks are a great place to take some risk. And it's kind of the new sexy place to put your money in terms of stocks, I guess. But I don't know. What, what do you think about investing in marijuana stocks as a strategy? Have you had anybody ask you about that yet? We actually have. We, we recently took on a client that wanted to earmark a certain percentage. Uh, the husband's actually on medicinal marijuana for some ailments and things that he has. So they wanted a portion of their portfolio tied to that. In your introduction on the marijuana stocks, all I could think of is in the 70s and 80s, the magazine High Times. I'm not even sure if it's still published out there, but I know that that has come across uh, you know, a few of our friends' desks or something over the time frame. <laughs> but the, the key thing on marijuana stocks- It, it, it looks like it's that. still going, by the way. I'm just <laughs> looking it up. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. Maybe more robust, a digital copy. You get online now, yep. subscribe to the podcast. You know, it's, it's, I'm sure High Times has come forward with the Times as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the, the valuations on the different- marijuana stocks that you have out there is probably the biggest thing that investors want to be careful of. And it really kind of goes back to the cryptocurrency side. It's not that there aren't medicinal and especially recreational uses on a go forward for marijuana stocks. So the story is very compelling and it makes a lot of sense. I know this, I think it was in March, the first U.S. publicly traded marijuana stock hit the market. The first exchange traded fund hit the market in December of 2017. And their revenues are expected to go from you know, 30, 40 million up to 400 million, 500 million on some of those individual holdings. 
And, you know, what makes sense for them and where that compelling story comes in is that, you know, if you compare it to growth stocks, because that's really what the marijuana stocks are supposed to be. Usually it's a technology company. It's unproven. You don't know how it's going to adapt to the market. But much like with some of our joking around is with medicinal uses, with recreational efficacy, there's little doubt that marijuana is going to become a larger part of society. Once again, through the medical community or through recreational use, uh, currently you already vet 29 states that allow medical use. Nine states are allowing recreational use. So it is something that's going to kind of come to it. But one of the considerations, though, is who's going to be the winner and loser at the end. So once again, as a trade, you could place your bets on, is it going to be one of the existing companies? Because the biggest kind of headwind or impediment on marijuana stocks going forward is really going to be coming down to being regulated in the legislation portion of it. Why that's consideration is once the government start getting involved, once the Securities Exchange Commission start getting involved, additional amounts of profits have to go to satisfy that. So as far as the regulation and what each state is going to require, and the problem as an investment is that's not your friend for future profitability. So typically, once again, are there going to be something great that's going to come out of here from an investment? Absolutely. But for any dollars that you're going to earmark in that direction, just to understand that you're very early in the process and most of these companies are not profitable. You know, so if you look at a PE ratio, a price to earnings ratio, you know, is it a good value for your buy? They all have negative PE ratios because they're bidding on a 10 and 20 year game. They're not trying to make the next quarterly earnings report. You know, and that doesn't necessarily shake out well for an investor. Always appreciate the guidance here, Michael. Good breakdown of cryptocurrencies and marijuana stocks, some of the attractions in both of those items, but also some of the uh, areas to be wary of when thinking about those investments. All right, I'll end the podcast today with a little bit tougher one because you talk about popularity. This next one has been in the news. It's been in front of our faces for decades, for many, 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 many years and maybe even longer than decades. I might be shortchanging it a little bit, no pun intended. And that would be metals, the gold and the silver, and I guess you could throw any other sort of metal in there, but certainly gold and silver being the two popular ones. Uh, A lot of advertising dollars behind that kind of investment, very popular in in the media and in marketing. What is there to know about metals, and why are they such a popular but yet risky investment? I'm going to approach this two different ways. One, why it's not an investment, much like the other things that we talked about, as a true investment. And secondarily, I know listeners of the podcast are going to go buy it anyway. So that's fine. So I'm going to give you a couple tips on if you are going to go down that path, uh, how best to do it, because it is one of the more popular ones, you know, over the decades, if not the centuries, you know, go back to the days of the ancients and the Greeks. Gold has always been coveted and it's still highly esteemed today. So, you know, a lot of people will say it's diversification, it's a hedge against inflation, it's its own currency. There's a lot of half-truths associated with that. The reason that I don't really see gold as a true investment are really kind of standard. Unlike a bond, it, it doesn't pay any interest, doesn't pay you a dividend, it doesn't protect you. We say it's an inflation hedge, but the worst hedge right now that you need for inflation is healthcare inflation. It doesn't help you with that. And there is no guarantee that it's going to go up in value. Basically, it's an arbiter of risk and fear in the market. It's something that people run to when times are bad. So, you know, we call gold bugs. That's the people that peddle all the gold, whether it's coins or the bars or whatever it happens to be. The gold bugs, they peddle uncertainty. It's fear over an economic future. So they say, oh, you can't trust currencies. You have to go into, you know, these coins or these bullion or these stock mining companies of gold. And brokers love to push this because they get a commission. And the more you buy, the more that they get. They charge more for the gold products than the actual price of the gold itself. So once again, 
you know, anything that doesn't pay me or have some assurances on a go forward basis that I'm comfortable with, I have a hard time considering that truly as an investment, specifically for your retirement dollars. Now, let me go into if you do choose to invest in gold, here's a couple kind of tips that you need to know. One, if you're going to be buying coins and collectible coins, you mentioned all the advertising, you know, buy these gold coins. The first question that you ask is I want, and you want to document it in paper, what's the melt value? And what that means is that if they take these nice, pretty coins that you have and they were melted down into the actual metal, what is the melt value? That's critically important because if you're spending $1,000 on coins, ideally you would like the melt value to be at least $1,000. Many times it's 20 or 30% less. So the only person making money here is the broker and the, the company marketing these. The second thing is anything that you buy, get an independent appraisal of the specific gold product that you're considering. Because a lot of times if they say, nope, here's our internal appraisal, many times it can be inflated. And the last thing is also consider any additional costs. So we have clients that over the years have purchased gold bullion, you know, and got the bars dropped off and that. And they found out that their carry costs were actually significantly larger. They had to buy additional insurance for home because now you've got an extra $30,000, $50,000 of gold laying around, a safe deposit box, or if they rented offsite storage to safeguard it, that came with additional costs, which also cut into your overall investment potential and what your return would wind up being. Historically, gold as a trade in uncertain times has been profitable but as a long-term hold, it significantly underperformed the markets. So, you know, if you're gonna take some risk, take some risk with something that you know, rather than kind of hope is a strategy that some archaic metal is gonna go up in value. Great points as always, Michael. And I'll take this as an opportunity to remind you if you're new to the podcast and uh, introduced to Michael for the first time and you don't have a great retirement plan in place, maybe you've thought you'd uh, dabble or uh, invest in some of these things that we've talked about today, like metals and marijuana stocks and cryptocurrencies. And and that goes for the things that we didn't cover on today's show, too. Maybe you've thought about oil stocks as being a hot thing to think about, or there's been some IPOs, some initial public offerings that have really caught your eye. Maybe it's foreign currencies. Maybe you were one of the ones who thought the Iraqi dinar was going to be the next big thing to jump on You know, back a couple of years ago. If you've kind of had these thoughts before... It's probably worthwhile to get a review of your financial situation, get a checkup on where you stand right now financially, and you can do that with Michael Stewart and the team at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. A couple of ways to get in touch. You can do it the old-fashioned way by calling Mike and the team at 815-526-3090. That's 815-526-3092. Or you can get in touch by going to the website, crystallaketax.com. Again, that's crystallaketax.com. Com, another great way to get in touch and tap into Michael's more than two decades of experience as a financial planner for folks just like you. Well, Michael, thank you for the, the guidance and the help on today's show. As always, I enjoyed it, and uh, we'll look forward to another conversation next time around. All right, we'll talk again soon, Walter. Thanks. Absolutely. For Michael, I'm Walter. Thanks for tuning into the show today, and we'll talk to you next time on Retirement Matters. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. The information provided herein is for training or educational purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities, investments, investment strategies, or investment advice relating to securities, nor is the information or representation that any security is a suitable or appropriate investment for any person. Before acting on any advice, you should consider the appropriateness of the advice having regard to your own objectives, financial 
financial situation and needs. Please contact us to obtain our disclosure brochure relating to the services offered by Sound Income Strategies, LLC, and consider its contents before making any decisions. Where quoted, past performance is not indicative of future performance. Sound Income Strategies, LLC does not represent or warrant that the contents of this program are suitable for you from a compliance, regulatory, legal, or any other perspective. We shall have no responsibility for your use or non-use of the program or any portion thereof.